Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Cybersecurity Chronicles, where we talk about news and views and opinions from the front lines of the cyber and risk world. Today, I am in, I am joined with uh, by Pam Hemison, who Pam is with Fortrex, and Fortrex is a an organization that does vendor management, verification, and compliance. If I have that correct, Pam. Yep, you're spot on. And so tell me a little bit more about what Fortrex does. Sure. So uh, so thank you, Sean. I appreciate the time today. And Fortrex does, we can do a lot of things for a lot of organizations. Uh, our sweet spot is that we work with primarily small to mid-size institutions, heavily regulated institutions, and we help them sort out what the regulators are asking them to do, and particularly when it comes to third-party risk management. And what we're finding is that as organizations are losing people due to the great resignation or the great migration. We help them, we help them fill in the gaps in their, in the skill sets that they primarily, that they, that they used to have. So we help them fill in those gaps, but we also help them raise their programs to the new levels of maturity that the regulatory environment is demanding of them. So we, we help them do that. And we also, you know, I'm, I'll, we'll probably say the word regulator or regulators <laughs> a lot today, but at the end of the day, it's, I find personally that it's really about doing the right thing for your organization and how can, how can I protect myself and my organization so that I don't fall victim to the next cybersecurity event and wind up on the front page of, you know, the newspaper. And what and what's your role with Fortrex? So I'm the director of uh, the compliance and risk practice. So you have to keep your finger on the pulse of regulatory issues. Yes, yes, I, <laughs> yes. I spend a lot of time, you know, going through governmental websites and and scrolling the the, the all the different uh, news organizations and anyone who's producing content on this. I do spend a, a fair amount of time researching and validating. You know, one of the things with with many of the regulations is that they don't give specifics as to what to do or how to do it, but they still want you to do it. So it's open to interpretation many times. And it's where where does a business look to or where should they be looking to? Is is it their legal team? Is it a lawyer, an attorney that, that gives them guidance on that? Is it somebody like you that deals with a lot of different organizations and the feedback that you're getting from regulators sure. and auditors? So where do they where it's, do they look? It's it's actually a, a lot of a lot of different avenues. Uh, one of the things I'm going to pull your question up yet one more level, and <laughs> again kick it back to the regulators. But I think this is a this is a holistic perspective. The regulatory community, and I believe the environment demands that organizations take a holistic approach to their risk management, vendor risk management, cyber risk management, and 
so they're talking to the business owners, they're talking to uh, the operations people, they're talking to legal and compliance, they're talking to their regulator. One of the nice things that I've seen evolve over the past uh, probably 10 years, if not longer, is that regulators are becoming more of uh, they, they want to assume more of an advisory role and not so much as a, as a traffic cop saying, oh, you know, you didn't do this thing where, you know, you get a black check mark next to your name. So I see, so I see a lot of, to, to answer your question, I see that if an organization can, can demonstrate and perform the activity of talking to numerous people, people and really getting a, a, a 360 degree view of the particular issue at hand, they are in a much better place to address whatever that issue happens to be. Do regular do regulators seem to be willing to engage with regulated companies directly to engage in that dialogue? Absolutely. Absolutely. To help understanding, to learn from the from the companies as well. Yep. how the regulations might be interpreted or misinterpreted and what it, they should be saying differently. Yes. So, and it's it, interesting that you bring that up. Just uh, earlier this week, I read an article uh, that, that actually the SEC published. Uh, some of your listeners may be aware that the SEC recently, as of May 1st, uh, published a, uh, a demand or regulation where if you, if you're, company is going to have, um, your services are going to be down for, say, four or more hours that you have to notify the appropriate, your appropriate regulators within 36 hours. And yeah, I know. It's all, it's like a, I don't know, doing a crossword puzzle or Sudoku or something. <laughs> um, Rubik's cube. Maybe that's what it is. It's a Rubik's cube. Anyway, one of the, um, so there's been some, uh, some, some pushback and the bottom line is, is that the, uh, the SEC said, okay, we're going to extend the comment period for, you know, a number of, I think it's an additional 75 days or something like that. Um, but, it, you know, they got pushback from the industry and the industry said, wait, we're not ready to, to talk about this yet. Or not that they were not ready to talk about it, but we're still sorting everything out in-house. Uh, can we, you know, let's let's take a breath. And It was a pretty forward. comprehensive document the SEC put out for public comment. There was a lot to chew on that in that document. Yes, yes. I think it was over, I don't know several hundred pages long. Yeah. So I think for a lot of organizations to kind of go through that and understand what it meant to them to offer some opinions right. back was going to take some additional time. Right. So, right. So it was just nice to, to see that. Yeah. The push and the pull. And, and again, I think that goes back to the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the regulatory community wanting to be an advisor and not a, a, a traffic cop. Yeah. So yesterday uh, or the day before, NIST put out their guidance uh, on supply chain security mm -hmm. in response to the president's uh, executive order for improving the nation's security. We have CMMC that's rolling out for the Department of Defense, which I believe is with Department of Homeland Security evaluating CMMC for maybe use of their supply chain, uh, that that's going to become sort of the standard the, the cybersecurity maturity model certification. 
becoming right. the standard for all federal agencies and all vendors to the federal agencies. Yep. And you deal a lot with uh, FINRA's vendor review and their compliance requirements. Right. And this list is only going to continue to grow. At 100%. So what are your thoughts about maintaining a healthy and efficient vendor supply management program? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Um, that's, a, that's a loaded question, Pam. It really, yes, it is. Let me let me get. Well, up you off get the that floor. kind of question when you said no to wanting to talk about New York bagels. So uh-huh. this is what you get. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so it's a lot. It's a lot to chew on, and it is. So one of the first comments I I have or observations, I guess, is a is a better word, is that. Uh, uh, vendors, suppliers to highly regulated industries. So, if you know, if I'm a if I'm a vendor who wants to provide services to governmental agencies or to financial services, there are a whole lot of hoops that I have to jump through. And what I have personally seen uh, evolve in the last few years is that say five to seven years ago, these, these vendors who were perhaps new, they were startups, they would not, uh, they would be like, well, what do you mean? Why do I have to fill out, you know, this, this, you know, this 300 question SIG form. Um, (laughs) And, but now they're, I think they're understanding their role in the ecosystem of all of this and understanding that it's important. If, if I'm going to do business with, with a government, with uh, the U S government, this is what I have to do. And that's just, I'm not going to call it a trade-off, but those are the rules of the game. When I, when I decide to engage uh, with uh, you know, with providing services to the U S government. And I think it's, I think it's good. Is it? Uh, some people might argue that you know this is overreach by the government, but I think we've between the pandemic, which offered you know physical challenges to us, right. and the cybersecurity uh, incidents that just don't seem to stop and they won't stop. I think we all are now in a much better place of understanding that it is important to, to lay an appropriate foundation with the right controls in place so that I don't wind up on the front page of the paper because yeah. I've, you know, lost, uh, you know, the, the employee records for, you know, 10,000 <laughs> government U S government employees. Or that I've been hacked and those 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 names and social security numbers have been stolen. Yikes! Right. You know, when we started talking about uh, CMMC with clients and the question that they were deciding upon was, is it worth it for me to go about doing this in order mm-hmm. to keep the this customer base going? Is it an important part of our business overall? Is it a key part of our, our sure. revenue stream? And is it worth the expenditure to maintain that revenue stream? That was pretty clear cut for a lot of organizations. Mm-hmm. I want to keep the DOD as a client or I don't want to keep the DOD as a client. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't, right. they just didn't do CMMC. If they do, they do CMMC. What we're starting to see, and I would imagine you are as well, and what you guys are doing is that because companies – 
larger organizations and the government are starting to see this interconnectedness, mm-hmm. the vulnerability of connected networks, mm-hmm. the, the ease at which use of email to propagate mm-hmm. malicious code is there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That now it's not a choice. It's do I want to do business with anyone <laughs> and not just do I want to do business with the government? Yep. Yep. And so you're seeing that businesses are starting to evaluate their vendors. Do they do the right things or do they not? Right, right. And if they don't do the right things, well, then we don't need you as a vendor. And right. now you've lost another client, I guess. So, right. So, well, and if I can interrupt there for a yeah. moment, I'm also seeing, and this has been in the on the the radar of on the certainly of financial services for a number of years now, but the fourth and fifth parties. Of my vendor, so basically my vendors, vendors, and my vendors, 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 and so right. on. I think that speaks directly to your comment about the interconnectedness of all of us, and really understanding what what the landscape looks like when I decide to do business with company X and not company Y. Uh, you know what what does it all look like, and where does it go? And it's what does my vendor supply chain look like? They, they, right. they need to understand that. Yeah, So absolutely. So as you've been doing this for some time, uh, tell us about a time that during your engagement, you struggled with a supplier evaluation. Mm. So... Uh, we don't need to name any names. No, 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 no. <laughs> The guilty will remain protected. <laughs> I signed that NDA. No. Uh, so, so I had an incident a few years ago um, where, where a company, a company was originally contracted to come in and do a, a, a very small um Mine, I'm, I'm, this is not what they did, but I'm going to I'm going to use this as an example. They were contracted to come in and repair the office microwave. It was on the fritz, and so they were. And as good salespeople will do, they've got their worker in there repairing the microwave, and then they said to the facilities person, "Hey, you know, in addition to microwave repair, we also." do all these other things. One of those things is cleaning communication rooms or data centers. (laughs) The next thing I knew, (laughs) this company had, had 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 a key to our communication, all of our communications room and our primary, uh, the, the part of our data center was on site at that, at that time. And, and they were cleaning and I went to the facilities people and I said, why are they in there? And the microwave oh, there. <laughs> no, right. And then they're like, oh, yeah, well, they offer this really great deal, blah, blah, blah. Of course, they offered a really great deal. And I don't think the company, the microwave repair company was trying to do anything malicious. But suddenly, you know, this, this you know, job, you know, where you're just doing one thing, suddenly they're in my data center. 
and I've not vetted them. I've not run any background checks. I've not collected any due diligence or insurance documents on them. So we quickly, so the facilities people, yeah, oh, I'm really sorry. Yeah. Um, when, so we went back to the company and we tried to collect, we said, okay, you're doing this other thing now. You need to give us these documents the microwave repair company was very hesitant to hand over documents. So like, well, we've never had to do this before and blah, blah, blah. And it's true. They had not, they'd never dealt dealt with a financial services company before. Mm -hmm. So they had no clue the amount of due diligence and, and checking background checking that we had to do uh, in order to safely place them in the, uh, in the, in, to clean the floors in the data center. So that was, that was a learning experience for all. It was a learning experience for the microwave company because they, you know, gee, do I want to go through all of this? <laughs> and do I even have all these documents? Uh, so, you know, initially they, they were resistant to what we were asking for. Uh, they were sort of indignant. And then I think they came around, but then they realized they didn't necessarily have the documents that we needed because they'd never been asked for these types of documents before. So uh, long story short, we wound up not using them, but that was an excellent learning experience. So for the microwave company and then for us and our facilities team, facilities didn't, they weren't looking to break any rules or, you know, violate any, any trusts but we all saw how important it was to, to really communicate to each other. And if something, and just educating, educating one another about what, what new services might be coming into our, either be our physical space or our, our, you know, our network space. Right. And in some cases I would imagine the risk and just for our listeners, the risk is there that, you may not you may engage a company that doesn't really have a whole lot to do with what your core business is but you may have a massive customer mm-hmm. that is a high target you know on this in the cyber world mm-hmm. and sure. they can certainly pose a risk they'll do enough research if that target's big enough to find out who their vendors are who their vendors vendors are and find a way into that network room, which is why the requirement is network rooms, server rooms have to be locked with access control. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Well, and in theory, I mean, your whole space should be, particularly in financial services, you you know, your, your whole space, no one should be setting foot on your floor uh, or on, you know, in your space unless they have been appropriately vetted. Uh, And then I've even seen, uh, organizations uh, put rules in place where people have to be escorted. You just can't, you know, say to a, the receptionist can't say to the salesperson, oh yeah, second door, you know, on the left, walk down the hall and take a right and you'll find the conference room. They must be escorted. Right. And I was talking to somebody recently and, and we were talking about clean desk policies. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. So, um, so Let's say that someone's going to go through this process mm-hmm. or that they, they understand they need to start the process. And so do you have any tips for starting it for a vendor management program 
especially for the small businesses where they can't yet afford the services like a Fortrex? Sure, sure. So one of the first things that I suggest to clients or potent prospects, anybody I'm talking to, anybody who'll listen to me, (laughs) um, is that, you know, start with your, take a look at who you're paying. You know, who, who are you, who, who is accounts payable cutting checks to? And when I say cutting checks, that could be wire transfers, or uh, in many cases now I'm finding that there are a lot of vendors being paid with credit cards. Mm-hmm. And depending on your organization and their policies, it could be personal credit cards, which that's a whole other uh, that's a whole other discussion. But find out who you're sending money to, because if you're sending money to someone in return for a good, a goods or services, that is, even if you don't have an actual contract, there is a contractual relationship there, and you are on the hook for that, for that contractual relationship. So start with accounts payable. Talk to your business continuity or resilience people. Talk to anyone in IT. IT is, you know, big for having all so their fingers in all sorts of pots and whether hey now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, well anyway um so it, gather your information that's the first thing that i suggest to people to do is gather your information who are you paying and understand what you're paying for and it can be as simple as a spreadsheet. So start with a spreadsheet and, you know, who, who am I paying? What's the service that I'm paying for? And it's not necessarily about dollar amount. You could be spending a whole lot of money on, you know, deli sandwiches and a fraction of the amount of money for uh, maybe some um, um, some offsite storage, cyber, uh, cyber storage. And you know, where, what's, what's more, what's riskier? What's, what, what poses more risk to your organization? So don't just look at dollar amounts. Right. Uh, The, uh, the other thing I caution people about is that there are some relationships that you get, say a three-year, a three-year contract with them and you paid them two and a half years ago. And so they haven't been on the AP uh, files for a few years, but yet they're still providing services to you. So find out who you're doing business with, what they're doing. It's good to find out who's what, what the the payment amount is, and who internally is paying for that. What department is responsible for that? And then I would start talking to the people who are. Uh, who approved those invoices within the business or who requested those services, find out why that service is in-house, why are we paying for it, and then understand what kind of, when you're talking about the kinds of services they're providing, is this a service where I'm handing over confidential data of some sort, NPI? If this service goes down for any reason, can I still open my doors? So in a bank, is it someone who, is it an organization that is helping me perform uh, 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 transactions? And then, so 
so how long can I, how long can they be down before there's a negative impact on me, my organization, or I have to close my doors? And then number three is how quickly can I replace them? So some organizations, you know, the copy service, right? If Staples isn't open in the morning, I can walk across the street and go to Office Depot. Okay, that's right. a really quick, easy change. But there are other things with with you know organizations that are that are much more complex and much more uh, really designed to your particular environment that would take six months or a year to come back. Right. And then those are the organizations you want to focus on first and really understand who am I doing business with? What are they doing here? Are there alternatives? What risks am I exposed to by doing business with these companies, et cetera? It's really understanding that operational risk for continuity there. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I can't even begin to tell you how many places, how many shops that I've worked in don't know don't really understand the the impact. Uh, the other item I want to put a p- minor plug in here is I find that there are a lot of companies that will go to a single source for all of their software. So there's like a software wholesaler. Mm-hmm. And like Microsoft, I can't buy Microsoft from Microsoft. I have to go to somebody else to buy my Microsoft right. licenses understanding where that software is coming from, I think is very important, particularly now in light of say the log4j issues and everything with Apache. there's there's software and there's there there are components out there that unless you do that extra level of digging and understanding, you may have, you may be potentially exposed to malware or to a to a, a the back uh, a backdoor that a hacker may have installed and not even know it because all you know is that oh yeah you know I bought Microsoft from the you know the ABC software company yeah and so then I don't do business I don't do any due diligence on Microsoft and I'm just using Microsoft because that's a big name and. I think everybody knows who Microsoft is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not saying that they are maliciously doing anything. No. So I guess guess the the next question I was going to ask, and I guess it sort of applies to what you just answered, is that if I'm a vendor to one of your companies that you're doing the vendor management program for, how do I prepare if you're coming to see me to ask me these questions? And, you know, I'm thinking back to the the microwave repair company. I don't have everything documented. Yep. And so it's where do I start? Is it is it as simple as I can answer all of your questions? I can mm-hmm. tell you what we do. And we do it the same way all the time. We just don't have it written down. Mm-hmm. So what do I do? Well, you've got to build your own vendor risk management program. Well, how comprehensive does it need to be? As comprehensive as, as the companies that I want to sell my services to, you know, so if I'm that microwave company, microwave repair company, and if I'm really happy just going from deli to deli to deli, repairing their microwaves, great. But if I'm going to go into offices now, corporate spaces 
with much higher levels of security, I'm going to be asked to do my own higher level of security. And so then you're going to expect me to have all of that written down and documented in a binder and here's how we do and how we do it? Yep. Yep. hundred percent. And what if I don't? Then, then if I, so if say I'm a bank and I'm going to seriously consider not doing business with you because so you're I just, can. So, if, so your vendor is just looking at your report that you've helped them compile about their vendor pro, their vendor landscape. Mm-hmm. And microwave repair company says they don't have any of this stuff. Then I'm Sorry, going to evaluate, we, do I want to do business with them or do I want to go find somebody else? Probably not. I probably don't want to do business with them because potentially there's too much risk there for me. And now if microwave repair company wants to come back to me in six months after they get their, get their, you know, how their own house in order, then perhaps we can have another conversation. But if, if I'm a large, highly regulated institution, not even large, if I'm a regulated institution that has client data of some sort and I'm performing anything with me, you know, at the end of the day, I often think about it like, this is people's money. It's not my money. It belongs to other people. And I need to protect their, they felt safe enough to hand their money over to me to you know, put in a savings account, check it, whatever it might be. Um, but it's, you know, is this, is this the, you know, is this how I would want my own funds and, and personal information to be protected and to be handled? Uh, so it's, am I doing the best for my, so if I'm the bank looking at the microwave repair company, what is in the best interest of me as an institution and as me representing my clients? And so my reputation, the regulatory environment and any financial risks that potentially I could be exposing myself to by doing business with, you know, small microwave repair company. It sounds like a lot of work. It is a lot of work, <laughs> which is why I have a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, so. I suppose that in many ways it's it's just starting. And this, I had a conversation in the last episode with with an attorney that deals with the legal compliance, mm. and um, I, I guess it's just about you know how do you eat an elephant? It's, right. it's that whole whole approach, and you got to start somewhere. One bite we're talking about yep. that that many companies don't realize how much documented policies they have already yep. in their business. They Indeed. have HR policies, they have hiring policies, they have sex discrimination policies. They have all of these policies already built in because the federal government has mandated them. Right. And that those are just now their practices. And right. it doesn't exactly. make any difference. So the rest of it comes down to how do you do the rest of your business? And we're starting right. to see it coming into yeah. all of this. No, well. absolutely. And it's one of the things I encourage clients and, and prospects to do is when you're doing your policies, you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. You can reference your, you know, maybe an HR policy already talks about, you know, we will train all of our people, you know, every year to do X, Y, and Z. So cross pollen across cross-referencing one another. And I think that also goes back to the very beginning of our conversation when you asked me about, you know, who should who should 
someone who, who should an individual talk to when they're starting to look at building their vendor risk management program? And that it's, it's a, it's like a, like a patchwork quilt, right? You want to talk to everybody. So you get that whole view. Yep, absolutely. And then you've really got a cohesive 360 degree uh, uh, program that demo. And then it also gives your employees one way of working, right? And they just, just, we're here, we've got to protect, we've got to protect each other and be nice to each other and be professional. But yet we've also have to do the same thing on behalf of our clients and protect their data and their investment, et cetera. Yeah. You know, part of that starts with helping them understand with their own data, Mm. how they manage their own bank accounts, how they manage their Mm -hmm. own passwords, understanding and make it personal for them leads to how they do the work themselves at work, how they handle themselves at work. And then they start to do it for their client stuff as well, your client stuff as well. So it's this whole thing about educating them, making them through your process there. It's about making them part of the team, taking some ownership that I've contributed to how we're going to do this. And they, there's a lot more buy-in, I think, when you do that. You have input from right. everybody that's doing the boots on the ground, so it, to speak. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, yeah, it just becomes what, this is how we do business. You know, it's not, oh, I have to follow regulation X, Y, and Z. It's, this is how we do business. And we do business to protect, you know, to protect our clients and our network and our reputation. And, you know, it's, uh, it's just a way of thinking, I think, and a way of conducting yourself. The other thing I'll throw in there is it's really important to get buy-in from the top. So you've got a top-down approach and that, you know, the most senior executives are marching to the same beat that, you know, that the, the newest intern is, um, you know, in the organization. Right. And, and I might just add, I don't think you need to have a, a particular format of all your policies just written down that everybody knows where they are. Everybody knows right. that this is the way we do things, but it doesn't have to be structured a particular way. It doesn't have to be organized in, in some way. It's not like right. the end of the family recipe book going, here's our favorite recipes. Right, um, right. But there does have to be some sort of organization to it, um, but Definitely. it doesn't have to have a formal structure. It doesn't have to be written by an attorney. It doesn't have to have legal language. It just has to be very clear right. to someone like you that's evaluating they have it. It's clearly written down what they do. I understand it. Yes. Anybody can understand it. And it does appear that they do this practice. Correct. Right. That's the other bit is providing evidence. Make sure you can evidence that you perform, you know, these these 17 policies steps or whatever the case may be. Right. Well, that doesn't sound so hard now. <laughs> No, no. Well, like you said, right? When you dig into, you know, with the el- with your elephant there, just That's right. one bite at a time. And I do I have so getting back to regulators and what the the evolution on their side, I have also noticed that as they they appreciate an organization mat- going through maturity. The d- different phases of maturity. So, you know, say you, I don't know, say you failed <laughs> year one, year two, when you come back, when that, when the regulators come back, they don't expect you to be, you know, PhDs, but they do expect to see that you went, you know, say from the first grade to the second grade and that you're maturing your program. And as long as that, 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 
that um, that path continues in your demonstrating ongoing maturity and development in your programs, uh, you're you're in a good place. You're you're in it. You, it may not be perfect, so it's you know crawl, walk, run. Uh, don't try and boil the ocean. You can't eat the elephant in one gulp. Yeah. You know, but yeah. it's all <laughs> I was those. an English major, so you know we could go <laughs> on with it. <laughs> Well, Pam, I appreciate your time today. It's been a great conversation Thank a little you, bit Sean. for a lot of listeners to learn, I think, and for them to find some more information about Fortrex, they can visit Fortrex at F-O-R-T-R-E-X.com to learn more about go. what they do if you need that right. service. You can find Pam Hamminson on LinkedIn. I'm sure she'd be happy to talk to anybody yep. that wanted to talk yep. to her. Love to chat with anybody and everybody. <laughs> And if you want to know more about NetSwitch, you can visit us at N-E-T-S-W-I-T-C-H dot net. You can learn about what we do and how we can improve your cyber resilience. Pam, again, I thank you for your time today. Yes, and I look thank forward you, Sean. for everyone to listen to us on the next episode of the Cybersecurity Chronicles. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Be well.